Well, good morning, everyone. If you're here in the auditorium or out in the cafe, I want to welcome you today. Uh, my name is Ryan. If we haven't met yet, I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And our senior pastor, Jeff, has been out at our conferences over the last handful of weeks. You saw one of them in the video here right before our youth conference. And if you were here last weekend, you were part of the selfie that I took. It was a ton of fun. And uh, what we did last week is we took a selfie, or I did, kind of. I tried. And then uh, we posted it and sent it to Jeff and said, hey, Jeff, we miss you. The only problem is if you guys saw that selfie, man, that was the most epic fail of a selfie ever. Yeah, you got to check it out on our Facebook page if you missed it. I basically, as I took the selfie, I caught this corner of my forehead in three out of the four. How terrible. It's ridiculous. If you can mess up a selfie, I definitely have done that successfully. So anyway, Pastor Jeff's around. Give him a hug if you see him. And uh, he will be with us next weekend as we kick off a new series then. Uh, make sure to catch that, of course, then. But this weekend, what we want to do is we want to wrap this series up uh, that we've been in for the last handful of weeks called With the End in Mind. And uh, this series has been all about wisdom, and it's really been all about saying, hey, how do we get our vision and the scope of what we're chasing in life kind of out of whatever the next thing is that, that we're really the wall that we're chasing down, right? Because we said that, right, in the first week that we tend to live for whatever is next, right? It's the next wall I can't see past, so whatever stage of life I'm in, that could be a different wall. It could be graduation, or it might be finding a spouse, or having kids. It might be finding a new job, or getting the next promotion, or finding the next house, or whatever it is. It could even be something small like just getting to the rest stop, right? Making it to vacation and just surviving until I can make it there. Maybe it's more long-term and looking towards retirement. But we said our energies and our focus tends to be very narrow on whatever is coming down the road for me in kind of the immediate future. And we've been saying in this series that Jesus, in the perspective that he brings, man, it changes everything about how we approach life. Because Jesus is going to bring this perspective into our lives where he says, hey, uh, this world and all this stuff that we're involved in, I just need you to understand that this is all going to end. Right? And everything that we see and everything that we know is normal. It's all going to change. In fact, the Bible tells us that this world is, is actually going to be destroyed with fire. And everything that we know is going to be ruined. It's going to be uh, made new when Jesus comes back. And all that we think of as normal is going to change. So what we said is, we said if we're going to be people of wisdom, if we're going to have a long-range view, a long view of life, we want to get that perspective squarely in our view. We want to take that perspective, back it up to our everyday decisions now. And man, we want to begin to live with the end in mind. So we said, how do we do that? So over these last handful of weeks, we unpacked, uh, I think, three words that really wrap up how we can live with the end in mind. And so we said the three words are this. They're faith, hope, and love. Those words really encapsulate, I think, a lot of the Christian life and how we follow Jesus. And so we looked at some aspects of those over the last handful of weeks. And what we're going to do in wrapping up this conversation is we're going to look at at least a slice of what love is. There's no way that we could ever cover all that faith or hope or certainly love is. They're too big of conversations. But I want to look at a slice of it today. And this slice, I think, is very important, and here's why. We're going to look at where love comes from, where it comes from, and how it comes out in a lifestyle. As I'm looking towards the end, how can I become a person of love? Because there's this huge value placed on love in, in the eyes of Christ. In fact, so much so that Jesus would say to his followers, the hallmark 
of, of a definition and relationship with me is going to be love. If people look at you and, and they want to know if they're associated with me or not, they're going to look at you and say, hey, is that person a loving person? And that's going to tie you to me. That's what he would tell his disciples. If you had to pick one word that really defines what it means to be a Christ follower, at least the lifestyle of following Jesus, we would definitely pick love. There's no doubt about it. It's the overwhelming kind of defining characteristic of following Jesus. And so we're going to dive into a conversation about love, specifically talking about where it comes from. And where we're going to be in the Bible today is at really the end of this sermon that we opened up that Jesus gave us in the book of Matthew. So you can go ahead and begin to turn there. We're in Matthew uh, chapter 25. If you have your Bibles with you, open up there. And if you don't, grab one from underneath the chairs, and uh, you can turn to page 695 in those Bibles. And as you're grabbing your Bibles here, let me remind us what we've come through. So Jesus opened up this conversation in a response to his disciples' questions. So we opened up four weeks ago. And really, they asked him this, hey, Jesus, what's going to be the sign that you're going to return What's going to be the sign of the end of the age? How's it all going to play out? Jesus would have walked through a, a series of descriptions of the end, and we talked about those. If you missed it, you can catch up online later. But we said that the end is going to be confusing. Right? It's going to be polarizing. Some people are going to be drawn to Jesus, and some are going to be repelled from Jesus. We said there's going to be some catastrophic events that are going to play out. It's going to be sudden and unexpected there's going to be all these characteristics of what the end is going to be like. So Jesus lays out this vision of the future, and he describes what it's going to be like. And then he, in the rest of Matthew 24 and 25, lays out some pictures and some stories and explains to his followers, this is how you get ready for the end. This is how you live with the end in mind. So we looked at a few of those, and we're going to end up today with really the last description where Jesus is going to say this, Hey, I'm going to come back and I'm going to return to the earth. And when I do, I'm going to bring judgment to the people of the earth. And this is what it's going to look like. That's where we pick up today in Matthew 25, verse 31. Let's read it together and then we'll unpack it a bit. Matthew 25, 31, Jesus talking about himself. He says this, he says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne all nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those who are on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we do that? When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels, for I was hungry and you gave me 
nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me, then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Even before we dig into this passage, I think you can tell as we read through it that there's some, there's some heavy content here. As some of you know me and you know my heart that I, that I care for you and love you and I want us to win and I think this stuff is critical and that's why we're talking about it. As some of you, we've never met before, you don't know me, you don't know my heart or intention and I'm gonna just ask for your permission to kind of lead us into a conversation that, uh, that, that's gonna challenge us a bit. Uh, maybe even ask us some difficult questions. Would you give me permission to do that as we dive in today? Because here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when I come back in all of my glory, we looked at that briefly, a scene from heaven last week when we talked about hope. When I show up for who I am and I bring with me the angels of heaven, a hundred million angels, all of the people, all nations of all the earth are gonna stand before me and I'm gonna be like a shepherd. I'm gonna separate out the people in judgment like a, sh- a shepherd separates sheep from goats and I will separate them onto eternal life or onto eternal punishment. Here's what it looks like on the whiteboard. We've got a king, right? He comes back to judge. He, he says, I'm gonna separate them out like, like sheep and goats. Right, so we got our little sheep here. Man, that's painful. You know what's really bad is I practiced that. I tried, I promise. Right, we got a sheep, we got a goat. This one's gonna get maybe some horns. Here we go. We separate those two out. So we got sheep and we got goats. We got the king separates them. And then, uh, yeah, I know they're bad. It's okay. And he says this, that these sheep are gonna right interact with people, here's a person, and, and when the sheep interacts with these people, when he, when he loves them or she loves them and cares for them and gives them food or clothes or takes care of them when they're thirsty, gives them something to drink, these people, we can probably wrap this up and say that, right, when love shows up in these relationships, what the king is saying is, and these sheep, when they love these people, these brothers or sisters of mine, the people that love me, when they do that, it's as if they do that to me myself. And the sheep love folks that I love, and it's as if they love me directly. And he looks at them and he says, hey, these sheep, they're going to enter eternal life. The conclusion drawn about the sheep the goats, on the other hand, they're also going to be interacting with people, right? The problem is when they interact with these people, there's no love. 
Right? He says, you, you did not do unto them all of these things, didn't feed them, didn't care for them. And when you didn't do it unto them, it was as if you didn't do them unto me. Right? This love didn't show up for these people, and it's as if you didn't love me myself. The conclusion is drawn that they will enter into eternal punishment. Now, if you're a thinking person, I know that you all are, you, you may be beginning to ask the question and maybe even wondering, what is Jesus saying here? Right? Because at first glance, it feels a little bit like Jesus is saying that maybe if, if I'm a person who loves and is kind and is merciful to people, that, that Jesus is going to look at me and say, hey, you're a good person. Here's eternal life for you. Right? It's as if you did that onto me. And at first glance, it almost feels like Jesus is saying kind of the flip side here, that, it, that if you're not kind and merciful and gracious to, to the people of, of God, that, that you're going to end up with eternal punishment it almost feels like Jesus is saying that you know, based on what I do ends up determining where I land. What do we do with that? It's a bit of a problem if we're going to look at this equation and start to understand the heart of our king. What I want to do is I want to take us from this conversation and bring us into another illustration that I think is going to help us to understand this. We're going to talk this through, and we'll bring it back to the sheep and the goats in a minute. But I brought these two trees with me, and I want to talk to you about these trees. I think it's going to help us to understand this. So I got two trees here. Uh, they have some things in common. They both have leaves. They both have branches. They both have this, like, you know, trunk, stem kind of thing. They're both in a pot, and uh, they, they definitely both appear to be tree-like in general. Right? This one's looking a little bit weak, a little Charlie brownish, a uh, little new, this one's got more leaves on it, and it's got a little more going on. But at the end of the day, right, they both appear to be trees. The problem is, or the difference is, is that they are extremely different entities. That these are fundamentally different things. And this is the difference right here. This little guy, this little crab apple right here. And what this is right here, this little piece of fruit, you know what this is? This is proof of life. Because at the end of the day, this tree right here has life in it, and that tree doesn't. That is not actually a tree at all. It appears to be a tree. Right? It looks like a tree at first glance. I mean, this is like made of plastic or some other thing. I don't even know what it's made of, but it's not a tree. And it definitely does not have life in it. These two things are entirely different. If we had 50 of this and 50 of this, and they're mixed all throughout the auditorium, all at first glance, we may look at these two things and say, oh, there's trees, right? There's, there, there's many trees in the auditorium, and they all appear to have life in them. But upon closer examination, we would begin to look and see the difference between these two trees. Let me push pause here. When we go back to the sheep and goats for a second, here's something in the story we need to know before I take you further in the tree analogy. When shepherds in the first century would herd sheep and goats, they would herd them together, and they looked similar. I don't know anything about sheep and goats, right? I'm not a shepherd. But evidently, in the first century, 
when a shepherd had all these sheep and all these goats together, they would appear to be the same thing. And only a skilled shepherd could tell the difference, and then a a shepherd would separate them out to be two different herds. Take me back here to the trees. We have two totally different things happening, two totally different entities, but they appear to be the same. The defining characteristic of what makes them different is life right here. This little crab apple. And if I was to go and take this and put it in the ground and get sunshine on it and get water on it, what's going to happen to this tree? It won't look uh, so young and small. In five or ten years, this will grow. This will produce fruit. It'll produce oxygen. It'll grow. Its branches will mature. This thing has life and it will produce. That's what will happen. What will happen to this tree in five or ten years from now? This will look exactly as it stands now, maybe dustier and older, but it's going to look just like this. Because this is what it is. It is not a real tree. It's a piece of plastic that appears to be a tree. Hey guys, why does this matter? Let me give us a statement, and then we'll begin to unpack it. I want you to write this little statement down. What we do, what we do, comes from what we are. Write that down. What we do comes from what we are. This tree is a tree, so it produces fruit. That's what it does. It is a tree, it does produce fruit. That's what's going to happen. This right here is a fake tree. It will not produce anything. No matter what I do to this tree, it will never become a tree. I can put fake pieces of fruit all over this thing and it will never become a tree. There's nothing that I can do to make it a tree. It's a piece of plastic, that's what it is. Now, this is where this becomes interesting. When I take this into my relationship with Jesus and how Jesus and his life works, this is where this starts to make sense. Because here's the thing, I cannot take this and make it into that. It's humanly impossible. If I looked at that tree and I said, I want that to bear fruit, I want it to produce oxygen or leaves or fruit, it's never going to happen. Now, I want you all to understand that I was this tree. I was a person that had no life in me, no spiritual life. I did all kinds of things to prop up the appearance of life. And I didn't grow up in the church, right? So I did the non-Christian version of that. I I defined my own set of rights and wrongs. I, I defined my own appearance of what life looked like in my own view. And then I began to attach fruit to myself to make it look like I was a person who had life in me. I thought, man, I'm a good person. I want to do the right things. And, and right, I'm going to prop this all up and make it appear as if it's real and full of life. At the end of the day, God brought me to a point where I had to make a confession that I did not have life in me. And there's absolutely nothing that I could do to this to make it that. Here's the thing. This is the miraculous part. Here's what Jesus did for me. 
is as a dead person spiritually, as someone who had no spiritual life in him at nearly 19 years old, I was able to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I tried everything I knew how to do. I've been propping this thing up. I've been trying to be a good person. I've done all that I know. But at the end of the day, there's no life in me. I have sinned. I have faked it. I have propped up the appearance of life. And I began to discover what Jesus did for me, that Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect life, and died for my sin. That he died to pay for all this. And when I accept that reality, when I receive God's love, something happens inside of me. New life, the Bible would say, is birthed within me and I actually change and go from being this to being this. Life is created, the life of God is created in me, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me and I'm alive fundamentally in a way that I was once dead. Guys, that changes everything. That transition, miraculous supernatural, impossibly, humanly speaking, it's impossible, transition from death to life plays out when I receive God's love. Guys, that's the most important decision that I can make with the end in mind, is to make the transformation from death to life. See, it wasn't enough for me to just prop this up. There's nothing that I could, I didn't need just a little bit of help I didn't need a little bit of self-help books and some motivation. I didn't need just a, a little more encouragement. I mean, a little bit of good church in me. I needed to be made something different. I needed to be made new. This is what Jesus has offered. When we talk about receiving God's love, that's what we're talking about. Looking at someone, myself, we all start here, by the way, We all start without spiritual life in us. We all kind of start because of sin being in the world, we start here. And every human being that's gonna be made right with Jesus has to walk through some version of the process that I walked through, where I have to humble myself and say, Jesus, I can't do this thing on my own. I need to be made new on the inside. I don't need just some, some propping up I don't need just the appearance of life. I actually need life. I, I need to be made something different. And I want what I do to come from what I am. I want to be made new. Guys, that, that decision is the most critical decision that every human being faces this side of heaven. The crossover from death to life. Now then we begin to ask the question, what does this fruit look like? What does this mean for me, right? If, if, I've, if I've made that transition, what's the difference between good fruit and fruit that I just tape on here? Because at the end of the day, we said these things look kind of the same, right? At first glance, they may be doing similar things. Here's the difference. They do similar things, but for completely different reasons. Watch how this plays out. If I'm over here, I have to do the church thing. Why? Because I'm trying to earn a relationship with God. That's what I'm trying to do. 
I'm trying to be a good person. Why? So that I can earn a relationship. I got to go to church. I start to have a have-to mentality. I have to do this. I have to love the unlovely, and I have to go to church, and I have to read my Bible, and I have to do all this stuff, right? I got to patch it all together and prop it all up and put some fruit on here to make this thing look like it has some life in it. It's a have-to mentality, right? I'm earning paying homage to a God to appease him, trying to make up for the fact that there's no actual life in here. You say, well, Ryan, what's this one look like? Oh, man, this is totally different. This is a get-to lifestyle. Because here's the thing. Fruit and life will come out of this tree Naturally, it's the natural byproduct of receiving God's love. If I'm someone that's gone from death to life, that means a ton of things. Here's some of the things that it means. It, it means this, that I know what it means to be forgiven. And now you know what's going to come from me? Forgiveness. I know what it means to, to be an enemy of God. Do you know what that means? It means that now I know how to love my enemies because I've been one and I've received the love of God in spite of that. I know what it means to receive kindness when I don't deserve it. You know what that means? Now I can give kindness to people that don't deserve it. Start to see how this plays out. Guys, fruit will come from a Christ follower because it's what I am. That's what happens. It's natural. It's actually the fruit of the life that's in me. The life of God will produce the love of God through me. Here's how this looks in our lives. If I'm a Christ follower and I have the life of God nurturing and moving in me, it starts to look maybe something like this, right? It starts maybe at home with the people closest to me and I stop having to feel like I have to appease or put up with those people or tolerate them and I begin to have a genuine passion for their soul and I begin to have the opportunity to treat them as if I'm interacting with Jesus himself, And that begins to spread out to other people. You ever interact with somebody who's lonely and have an internal nudge? Guys, to be moved to care for someone who really can offer us nothing, the poor, the lonely, the hurting, those in the inner city, where your heart starts to break for the things that God breaks for, I want you to understand that is God's life in you. It's the Holy Spirit in you producing love and joy and peace and patience, goodness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control, all those things. As I get to do that, I don't have to. Completely different lifestyle. On the outside, it looks the same, but internally, the motivation roots down from a deep life that is coming out and it's exploding in love relationships where I get the joy of bringing hope to the hopeless. I can go to work and run through the walls of life and along the way, guys, what I get to do is live love. That will happen in me because I am a Christ follower. I'm a person who's been loved. It's what I am. And what we do comes from what we are. Can you begin to see how this works? This changes everything. Now, if I'm a stressed out Christ follower trying to produce love all the time, because I can just relax, because here's the natural tendency for all of us is to veer back towards what we know, right? This is what I know. I know how to prop it up. I know how to try to manufacture life. Guys, I don't have to manufacture life. Why? Because life is in me. 
And now I can walk through life and I can be free to love people. And the values that Jesus holds of loving individuals and caring for individuals and caring for my wife and children or husband or however it plays out for you begins to elevate and the values of the kingdom begin to show up in a whole new way. This is how this works. Starting to see it. Now, say, Ryan, help me understand how this ties back to the sheep and the goats. All right, follow it with me. We went on a detour after we opened up this question. Is Jesus judging me based on what I do? I hope the answer to that question at this point is clear that the sheep are not judged on what they do. They, they're judged on what they are. They're not sheep because they love. They love because they're sheep. The identity is actually the issue. So you're saying, so what's, what's Jesus saying here, Ryan? What's the message of the sheep and the goats? Here's the message. Jesus is saying, I'm coming back. I'm gonna come back in all of my glory with all the angels and I'm gonna judge the nations and with desperation, with love and with passion and with grace, Jesus is saying this. He's saying, listen, if you're a goat, you need to become a sheep. If you're a goat, you need to become a sheep. You need to become something entirely different. If you're dead, you need to come to life. That's what needs to happen. If I'm a sheep, I need to be a sheep. I need to be what I'm made to be. I need to do what I'm made to do. If I'm a sheep, I need to not veer back towards goat-like living. I need to not veer back towards trying to prop up the appearance of life and trying to earn something that, man, I already have a hold of. I already have life in me. It's starting to make sense. I want us to be crystal clear that we are not saved because we're good people. That's over here, guys. This begins to drive us into a set of questions. If I'm going to look at this equation and look at what's coming, I'm going to get ready for the end. Here's what I have to begin to ask. I think the most critical question, difficult question that I can ask is this one. If I'm looking at this picture, I'm looking at these trees, I have to ask myself, the sobering question, am I alive? Do I have life in me? And listen, even, even before we give an answer to that, because maybe right now we're even thinking, Ryan, if you knew, man, I have been in church my whole life, right? My grandpa was a pastor. I've done so many good things. I'm a good person. Before we start firing off those questions and pointing to the fruit we've attached because I have to stop us. And I have to ask the question, not what have I attached and propped up to give the appearance of life. Not talking about church attendance. I'm not talking about you being excited about Grace Church. 
love that you're excited about grace. I'm excited too. Because that's not the question. The question is, has it ever been personal to me? Not, not my spouse and their relationship with Jesus. Not my kids. Not my best friend. Not my boyfriend or girlfriend. Have I personally ever come to the place where I looked at my life and I realized, man, there, there's no spiritual life in me. Have I ever owned that reality? Recognized it before Jesus? Said, Jesus, I need you to make me new. It's not enough to be a good person. There's nothing I can do to add to this to make it all work. Jesus, I need you to create in me life that I cannot muster or find or create on my own. I need to be made from the inside out, brand new. I need to become something else. Have you personally ever owned that transition? Guys, I need you to hear, it is what will matter most when you see Jesus. It's all that's going to matter. At the end of the day, I have to be made new. It's the only way we can be saved. To have this life of Jesus in us, receive the love of God and be made new from the inside out. Am I alive? I gotta ask that question. You may look at these two trees and you say, Ryan, I'm, I'm sure I'm over here. Good, okay, I'm with you. The next question for me as I look at this, right? I, I look at this tree and I look at the life in it and I gotta recognize that, that this tree can be limited by sickness or injury, right? And the fruit that it could produce could be limited because of pain or dings or suffering or disease. And I gotta ask myself, if I'm a Christ follower, if I have life in me, am I, am I spiritually sick or injured? As I've traveled through life, even though I have the life of God in me, have I suffered abuse or pain and suffering injury to my spiritual well-being and, and the fruit, the love of God that could be produced from me has been limited. And I want you to understand that if, if that's where you are, you've tried all that you know, guys, reach out for help. Reach out for help. Don't waste the opportunity to live a get-to life. We're made to live free where we love people and we're not limited and our life can matter at a level that we've never even imagined. And if you look and you say, man, I'm, I am hurt, I, I am limited, and I'm shut down on the inside and I know I'm not seeing the world right and it's showing up in my relationships and it's, it's limiting my love and I need somebody to help me figure this thing out. Guys, if that's where you are, let us know. 
reach out to a friend. Tell us on the connection card. But don't allow the life of God in you to be squashed and limited and choked. Break through that and let's see an abundant amount of fruit come out of us again. Am I alive? Am I sick? Last question is this. Am I taking the life of God that is within me? Am I I putting that life in an environment where it can grow and and flourish? Because here's the reality. I could take this, this tree right here that is made to produce. It is a tree, so it will produce life. I could take this, put it in the closet in the darkness, and it will slowly begin to wither. It's still alive, but it's completely unproductive. And what it's made to do will slow so much that it's almost as if it's lifeless. If I neglect this tree, it will stop doing what it's created to do. So I gotta look and say, am I putting my life, my spiritual life in environments and where it can explode with fruitfulness? See, that, that's the difference right there. When I'm over here and I'm recognizing that the life of God within me is a gift, then I start to see going to church as something that I get to do, not something that I have to do. Biblical community is, is an environment that can fire up the life of God within me, something that I get to be a part of, to, to nurture and foster growth within me. It's not something that I, I gotta check off a box over here and make it look like I'm the real deal. When I show up and read my Bible, it's because I need it and I need the life of God to be furthered in me. Man, I wanna live in love like Jesus has made me to live in love. It's not a checklist thing that I do because Christians have to do that. Am I putting myself in environments man, where this life can explode? Because we need each other. That's why we do what we do here. Right? We, we don't host services so that, that folks can feel good about uh, not having life. That's not what it's about. It's about firing the life of God within me and then seeing growth happen on a whole new level. Three questions. As we look towards the end, as we look towards the return of Jesus, we want to be people of love. How do we do that? I got to ask myself these three. Am I alive? If I'm really honest, have I made the transfer from death to life? So if I've never done that before, make that decision. Tell Jesus you want it. You're sorry, and he'll create that life in you. Am I sick? Am I injured? Do you need help? Because that's okay. We all need help. I continue to need help and need spiritual counselors and advisors in my life to continue to help me to see the blind spots in me. We all need that. Am I neglecting the life of God within me? Am I so wrapped up in the things of this life that, that the life of God is neglected and put on the shelf 
Can I bring that back into the forefront and see the life that I'm created to live begin to fire at a whole new level? Guys, would you wrestle that through? Would you embrace the life and the love that Jesus died to give us? Would you live with the end in mind? Let's pray together. Father, we want to say thank you. More than anything else, Lord, it's mind-blowing that you make us an offer that is humanly impossible, an offer to make a dead thing alive. Lord, thank you for making me alive when I had no life. And Lord, I, I thank you that you continue to heal me on the inside. Heal my spiritual life and my emotional life so that fruit can come out of me more and more. Lord, forgive me for when I neglect the great gift you've given. This morning, I, I ask that you would cause us, Lord, to be ready for your return. Do whatever it takes in our lives to see fruit come out of us to live a life of joy rather than a life of obligation. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your love for us. It's in Christ we pray. Amen.